The Ringer's Dave Hill takes you on a journey into the underground lives and careers of six professional gamblers. This eight-part podcast is a unique look into the gambling world that you don't want to miss. Check out Gamblers on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always for the intro music. You have me solo today, guys. Chris Ying is off. Isaac Lee is not here. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, This is how it used to be, believe it or not, and actually might happen more and more as everyone's lives get busier and busier. But we have today as our guest, Ellen Bennett. She is the founder, creator of Heedley and Bennett. And if you've seen color in, in how cooks dress and chefs wear their aprons, she's a main reason why. She is instrumental in how we dress, and and she changed a lot of the perceptions. Um, and she just turned an idea into a big, big business, and 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 massive shout out to her for pivoting in the past sixteen months to making masks in, in addition to everything else. Um, remarkable, and a lot of her philosophy, a lot of her mistakes that she's so open to talking about are in her book, Dream First. And we talk a lot about those mistakes in this podcast. But before we get into that, I just wanted to touch upon a few things. One is, I think a lot of people in my profession, and some of them are very successful chefs, are just asking themselves, like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> and I, I, there's no reason to name names or whoever, but it, I think there's this collective, it's not like ennui or anything like that. It's, it's wait, we just got through one of the hardest years of our lives. And it was about keeping your head above water and that's done. And and now everybody wants to go full occupancy, but we've had this forced sabbatical, this forced time off that nobody wanted. And, you know, I talked to a lot of my friends uh, that are running restaurants and they're just like, some are more determined than ever. And a lot of people are like, is this what I want to do? And I think that's natural, guys. I'm sure in any field, For any of these listeners, if you're not asking yourself, like, is this what I want to do? That might be weird. Like the only, for me, the only way I can compare this is to September 11th and how, you know, a few months after it happened in New York City, just people started to do a lot of things that they would never have done before. And this is collectively happening on a global level. And and we're not even out of the vaccination and uh, disaster in Asia and India and Africa, but here in America, at least. You know, a lot of people are collectively like, what do I do? This is happening the world over, but it seems like America is headed towards 
clearly not everybody's getting vaccinated, but we're getting to a place where restaurants and retail outlets, at least in New York City, a lot of the major cities are going to be full occupancy. And I think a lot of people are just asking themselves, like, what do I want to do? I I don't have an answer. I just wanted to tell you, like, you're not the only one. And uh, I know a lot of you guys listen to this. So take solace in the fact that if you're reevaluating things, I think it's natural, guys. We just went through and we're still going through one of the most tumultuous times. And I think it's natural to ask yourself, is this a balanced life? Is this a pursuit of happiness? Am I doing good? And uh, maybe there's other ways for that to happen. And, you know, someone like Ellen clearly is doing good and it's not behind the stove anymore. So um, I'm all about people reevaluating things. And, you know, personally for me, I, I've spent a lot more time. I'm, I feel guilty that I've been traveling a lot more. I'm working a lot more. So when I am home, I am, I'm, I'm on uh, real dad duty. Um, and I shout out to all the single parents out there. I just don't know how you guys do it. And I don't know, you know, how my mom had four kids without speaking English. Jesus, basically by herself too. So, you know, I've been, I, I can tell you though, I've been strangely grateful. I don't know if I would have ever spent this much time being a dad. And um, it's the best. It is exactly, it's everything that I hoped for. And I never thought I could love anything as much as my son. And it changed me in ways that I'm still trying to unravel. You know, and, and I'm strangely grateful for this time, as difficult as it's been. Because I'm getting to be the parent I never would have been able to be. And that's the most important thing to me. So, yeah, if I'm having these moments, I'm sure a lot of people are. And, like, for example, like, I, I'm always trying to be punctual. I, I always, you know, whether it's a Zoom call or any physical meeting, I hate being late. I hate it, hate it, hate it. And I've been taking my son down for his naps. And I had, like, a noon call. And I was just late. And I didn't even worry about it. My whole intention, first goal was just to make sure Hugo was calm and to put him to bed. And I missed a pretty important meeting. <laughs> I missed a really fucking important meeting, at least the first few minutes of it. And I told him, hey, I, I, had, I had to take care of something else. And I thought to myself, that would never have happened. At any other junction in my life, I would have sacrificed personal priorities for work. And that's not to say that I don't still do that, but it's happening more and more. And I think it's a better version of me, quite frankly. You know, and just recently, like I knew I had an important package coming from FedEx. I had to be there to sign it. And I didn't even think about it because I was putting Hugo down again. And if I, I heard the doorbell and I knew if I went to get it, because I was home alone with Hugo, if I went to get it, there's no way he's going to bed. And I could have done it. Old Dave would have certainly have gotten it. Old Dave probably wouldn't have been home to put him to bed. And I decided it's not that important. As important as it is right now, being present, being a father, and putting my son down is more important to me. And <laughs> I was like, fuck, man. That's such an insignificant thing. But I never in my wildest dreams would have done something so I wouldn't say trivial, but normal. I would have sacrificed anything to do work to make sure I got it. And I mean, it's this illusion of control. And and I was like, man, who am I? <laughs> I never would have done that. And we're talking about a fucking doorbell, guys. And if I'm going through this 
I can't imagine what everyone else is going through. And I, I talk to my friends and I think everybody is. Uh, not everybody, but a lot of people that I care about, a lot of people that I'm friends with are certainly asking themselves, if this is a version of happiness, I like this. How do I do more of this? And yet, how do I pay the bills? And how do I do everything that I need to do to keep things afloat? So these are these are real questions that I don't have the answer to them, but I do know that we're going to find a better way, I hope. But um, I love being a dad right now. And I know we have a lot of fun on those dads podcasts, but it is challenging as all hell today. I mean, I don't know how many, how many times I, I just told myself, this is so fucking hard, but it is. It is so hard, but it's so rewarding and I love it. And I don't think I've ever been happier. And that's the craziest thing for me to say. I never thought I would love being a dad as much as I do. And I'm still working a lot, but it's different. My priorities have shifted and I'm okay with that. In fact, I think it's healthy. So I think it's also healthy to go out there and to ask yourselves, is there something else I want to do? And it's why I wanted to get Ellen on this podcast because she took this, honestly, this crazy fucking idea and she turned it into a big business. And it wasn't overnight. There were a lot of really stressful moments but she's navigated it all. And she's just somebody you just don't bet against, that kind of individual. And, and you know, I just hope more and more people take this opportunity to be like, you know what, I'm going to try something I've never done before, or I'm going to try not to do anything. I'm just going to try to be, and I'm trying to exist and be present and be mindful. And, and that's it. So I know I've blabbered on and on, but um, this is my interview with Ellen Bennett of Heedley and Bennett. Go check out her book. It is out called Dream first, details later, how to quit overthinking and make it happen. You know, if you listen to this podcast, it's like everything she says is stuff that we talk about over and over again. I'll shut the fuck up. Here's out. Welcome, Ellen. I can't believe you're on the show, finally. I know, David. Holy cow, it's been a while. So good to see your mug. And you've had a crazy year. Uh, we all have, but but you you were busy making a lot of masks. Probably still busy making a lot of masks. It's a lot less crazy than it was last year, but damn, that was the pivot of a fucking lifetime. I just still can't even believe we pulled it off, but I'm standing. War wounds right here, but I'm standing. <laughs> Can you explain to everybody what this pivot was and about your company? Totally. So I have a company called Headley and Bennett. I've had it for about nine years. It started as aprons for the restaurant world, making custom gear. Uh, David was one of my first customers. Very proud of that moment. Really excited that we made that happen so many freaking years ago. I was 24 years old. And now it's evolved into really a direct-to-consumer business that not only outfits thousands of restaurants across the country with beautiful gear for the kitchen, but we also outfit hundreds of thousands of home cooks. So last year, when the shutdown happened here in L.A., I was going into our factory, 16,000 square feet. I was standing in there as we were literally shutting things down. And I went on Instagram and I saw that, that Governor Cuomo was saying, we're running out of face masks in New York. And this designer, Christian Siriano, was like, oh, well, I'm a wedding designer, but I I'll help you with face masks. And I was just like, holy shit, this guy is just doing it. 
And it felt very much like the first time I made the first Headley Invented Aprons. And I was like, we got to do something. We can't just go home and stick our heads in the sand. Like we got to show up for our community. So within 24 hours, we pivoted the entire building to face masks and changed our sewing lines, our cutting floor, everything, launched the face mask online through a buy one, donate one model, and to date have donated half a million masks to frontline workers across the United States and made a million masks. And it was all thanks to- A a million? A million million masks. masks. A million masks. Yes, a million masks. And by the way, it was like the wild, wild west, like to get elastic, to find- the right material. Every port in the country was shut down. Every supplier was out of everything. It was chaos. And we were all navigating it. But, you know, what were we going to do? Not help? Go home? Worry about it? We're we're from the restaurant world. We're like yeah. fucking cockroaches. We can survive anything. <laughs> just, just make shit happen. But it seems, Ellen, that you took a page out of the book that you would publish, Dream First, yeah. Details Later. Yep. Right. Like literally, literally. Well, funny you say that because it's actually the last chapter in the book. I was still writing the book through all of this and I'd been writing it for two years and I finished it. And so it's the epilogue and it's called wake up and fight. That's what we called the mask because that's exactly what we did. We woke up and we fought for our fucking lives like the world was ending, which it kind of felt like it was. And we had no idea what we were doing. We had never done it before. But when you have enough conviction and grit and you show up and you know that you're going to figure it out no matter what, it's the best feeling because you just go out of your head and into action. I mean, how much of this was stuff that you were just inherently, this is I was born with, and how much of it was nurtured by your family? Or was this stuff that you learned when you started line cooking? You know, I got chunks along the way. I, when I was young, my parents got divorced and it was a really gnarly divorce. And I went from having a, you know, sort of calm family home to now being raised by my mother, who's a wonderful single Mexican mama. And she just kind of taught me how to make something out of nothing always. And we didn't have a lot of resources, but she was extremely resourceful. Like I remember if we needed to hammer something into the wall, she would take off her chancla and just like hammer it in. You don't need a hammer. You got your shoe. Let's go. Like she just figured stuff out. And it's that Latin culture in me that also just gave me this sort of desire to make it in the world. And I wasn't waiting for anybody to make it for me. I knew I had to go out and get it myself. So that really helped. And that's how I got a job at Providence. I walked through the back door, walked up to Chef Simarusti, who's a big ass man, and essentially pitched myself in person. And I was like, I am Mexican and I have the work ethic to prove it. And I want to work for you and you're going to give me a shot. And he was like, what? Uh, Okay. And he let me come in to stage and sure enough, he gave me a job, but you know, it's just courage to show up and make shit happen. You forget sometimes to do it the old school way, right? Just talking to people. And uh, Michael Simristi, one of the real good guys in the business. Um, yes, the good really, eggs. truly. Um, so many people probably ask you, "How do I do this? How did you do it?" Clearly, like, even though you write it, and even though you've given advice, like, yeah. how many people know what to actually do? Right? Like, yeah, 
what you just say, like you, you go out and you do it. Don't worry about it. You just got to like make mistakes and do it. You're built different though. Not everybody can do it because Ellen, like you have no fear. You don't. And I think that is something that I've always wondered when I give advice to people, I always say like, man, it's sort of dangerous advice. Do you feel some of the advice that you give to people is not dangerous, but it's like, it's not something a lot of people can do You know, like how do you encourage people to do something so out of their comfort zone? Totally. I mean, everybody is, you're right. Everybody's built differently, but we all go through fucked up situations in our life. That is not exclusive to me. And it's how you approach those situations and learn from them and bounce back up, right? I could have thought when my parents got divorced and it was a horrible ending that that was it. That was the end of the road. But really it was my kind of decision and perspective to say, all right, I'm going to make lemonade out of this really shitty situation and I'm just going to go out and try things. And so it does start mentally. It starts in your head and how you are looking at things. So maybe you're not as outgoing and maybe you're just like, well, I don't know. I don't work at a two Michelin star restaurant. How am I going to start? I There's a section in the book that I call it my confidence belt. And every time you show up and you do something a little scary, it could be, you know, anything, but you are essentially putting money fake money, quote unquote, into this savings account. And you're like accumulating confidence so that when a situation comes along where it's a little bit extra out of your comfort zone, you're like, you know what? I fucking survived all these things. Damn right. I can do that. I'm just going to leap. I'm just going to try. And and that I think is a part of it. And I also, by the way, 90% of the book is about all of my failures. So it's like normalizing that you fail to get successful you don't get successful by being successful. You get successful because you suck and you still get back up and you try again. I mean, you just wrote a whole book about pushing the damn peach up the mountain. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and you 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 actually are way more eloquent and articulate and organized in your thoughts in your book talking about the same thing. And, you know, you talk about making failures and I've had a, a, a difficult time trying to explain what you just explained, like, how do you, how do you tell people that when you make mistakes, you can look at it two ways. You can complain about it and try to avoid doing it ever again, or you can look at this as an opportunity to collect data. And I think when you collect data all the time with the mistakes you make, but do you find, again, this is advice that people are like, what the hell are you talking about? No, I actually think they're like, oh shit, really? It's okay to make a mistake? They're more shocked and surprised that it's okay versus feeling like that I'm bullshitting them. And I, you know, I, I know a lot of really successful people and I know a lot of people that are on their way and they're trying. And the biggest difference I see between the two is the ones that are really fucking successful use the failures as almost like a staircase. Like they're building each time they fail. They're like, all right, what did I learn from that? Where did I fuck up? How can I be humble about this and just recognize where I failed And then they try it again. And next thing you know, they built another stair and another stair. And so they're making a staircase versus not as successful people take it and they stack them on their shoulders and they just have all this shit weighing them down, making them think like, I'm not good enough. That's a difference in perspective. You're still having the same crappy situation. But you come from the the restaurant philosophy of making shit happen, right? No matter what, Bad news, like yeah. you hear. No matter how many tickets come in that night, no matter how in the weeds you are, you got to swim to the other side and get through the fucking service. Yeah, no, I know. 
with your success, do you feel that it's now the success becomes a curse sometimes, right? That you're like, wait, how do I live up to these expectations? You know, I think that it is definitely one thing to get successful and it's another thing to maintain it and to evolve it and to grow. And a lot of that has to do with you just being willing to look the errors in the eye and say, I fucked up on that. What am I going to do to do it better? And I've had so many shitty situations happen along the journey of Headley and Bennett where I had to take full ownership of something horrendous that had occurred along the way. Like, I'll give you an example. When we got our big giant factory here in LA, the I couldn't afford it on my own. So I got a co-signer to sign the lease with me, somebody that worked with me on uh, one of the sewing companies I worked with. And he's like, she's killing it. And we have a big factory. Like we're going to team up and it's going to be great. Long story short, we would pay them the rent and they would pay the landlord. And one day at the beginning of September, right before Q4 hit, we got served an eviction notice out of the blue like served, handed the documents. You have 30 days to leave the building. And I was like, oh my God, I'm self-funded. I started this company with $300 out of my house. Like how the fuck am I going to pull this off? And we had to pay all the back rent that this guy had basically run off with. We had to pay the first and the last month again to secure the building. And I had to bring the landlady and convince her that this 28-year-old girl, 27-year-old actually at the time, could take on this giant building on her own. And I showed her what we had done in the building and what we had created. And she was like, all right, I, you know, I trust you. And you came up with the money and off you go. And people don't hear those stories enough, right? They see us being successful and they're like, oh my God, they must have the best life. And the amount of shit storms we endure on a daily basis is probably more than the successes that we experience. Do you feel that at these moments, and again, I think this is something I feel people that have experienced success and the, and the highs and the lows, what gets edited out is everything that you just said, the pitfalls and, and the terrible moments where you're like, oh, it's all going to end. Do you still have moments where like, I can't do this anymore. This is all going to end. I think that is a, almost a good thing to feel because the minute you stop feeling that everything is, uh, you know, it's never a guarantee, right? Last year was proof. The whole world changed right before our eyes. And as long as you keep trying and like, don't sit on your laurels, you're going to evolve. You're going to figure it out. Because if you did it once, you can do it again. And so that's just my constant reminder. Nothing is guaranteed. And every day I have to show the fuck up and try something new and something better and evolve as a person, as a business owner, and just never stop trying. And that there's a beauty, right? When you when you see something in your head and you bring it to life, you're like, hell yes, I built that restaurant. Cool, now I want to go do it again. It's like the exhilaration of, of your creativity coming to life. And I, I just can't get enough of that stuff, even though it's really fucking hard in between. Along the way, have you found time to enjoy it though? Because that's something I definitely was not able to do is, is yeah. enjoy the ride because of that mentality of yeah. this guy's following every, every turn, every corner is a bad, bad thing. And I got to be ready. Yeah. And it's a, it just gets ugly. Yeah, no, it, it can get really dark. You're totally right. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And I think that COVID honestly, for me was really good because it did recenter my perspective on 
what was important and what I should be focusing on and how do I but, show but, up. But when it, when it did hit, you must have been like, oh, fuck. Oh, oh, 100%. I mean, 50% of our business at that time was restaurants. And from one day to the next, it completely died. And that was terrifying as I was sending my team home. Um, so yeah, there's not, there's nothing about this that's been like, oh yeah, that's, it's been a walk in the park, but you know, you can also look at it from a different lens and say, okay, well, I am the driver of my own life car every fucking day that I wake up, I'm still here. And I have one more shot to do this right. I have one more shot to make things better. Yes, I fucked up. Maybe I did that wrong. What am I going to do about it today? And that just kind of keeps me evolving and keeps me going. Man, it, it puts it into context about how it's the leader and, and the business decision you made to, to, to get here to today is, is, is why people should read your book to give you an insight. Because like it was amazing how how rapidly you you pivoted. So again, kudos to you, and I think it's a testament to to um, your grittiness. Like it was like wow, I was like wow, that was so fast. <laughs> it, was <going> yeah. down. <laughs> it was it was it was fucking crazy. It was crazy. But you know what? I also saw all these restaurants too. You know, they you went from fine dining to having a grocery store. Like everybody was just doing the craziest shit to survive. And it, it is a reminder that we are so much fucking stronger than we think we are. And sometimes it takes really crazy situations to prove it to ourselves. But I, we're still standing. We're here talking together at the sort of quasi end of it, I hope. We hope. God, we hope. Um, so you're here with the book coming out. I mean, I'm sure the book tour... Who knows what, what, are you going to do a book tour? How is this working? Yeah. <laughs> Great question. I did. I started yesterday. It launched officially. Uh, and we've already done a ton of, you know, podcasts and whatnot. And I was actually just on the Ellen show, which is literally a dream come true. I got to go on set and talk to Ellen on Ellen about Headley and Bennett. And uh, so that was, that was a pinch me moment for sure. That's surreal, right? Yeah, yeah. It was incredible. Like the two couches and you're there and she's asking you questions. She's holding up your book. You're like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. And and then and then what's next? Like, where do you where do you think that you're gonna take this dream that started in, you know, in your house with 300 bucks? Like, where, where, where does this all go? Can you share with everybody? Like what what is the next? evolution. Yeah. Well, a lot of it really got catapulted because of COVID, but our, our business pre-COVID was a 50-50 split between restaurants and direct-to-consumers online. And because of the shift in people cooking at home, it went from 50-50 to 80% direct-to-consumer. And so that meant, as you know, Direct-to-consumer is a very different world than making custom gear for restaurants all over the place. And so we had to let go of some old ideas of the way we do things and shed some skin like a snake of, okay, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I can't do that level of custom. I can't do this type of uh, operation anymore. And we made things a lot more automated. And now we're really focused on the home kitchen while still obviously making gear for thousands of restaurants. But aprons and kitchen gear to inspire people and make them feel confident, no matter if they're a professional chef or a home cook. And 
literally make all the tools, all the essentials that you need and nothing you don't. That's the fucking goal of Heavily Infinite. And that is the future. And it's taken me a long time to let go of the old parts and, and really begin to build the new parts. But we're here. We're here now and we're doing it. I mean, everything you're saying to me sounds like somebody that's been in the business much longer than you have been and something that I'm sure is going to be studied and analyzed in a business school case study one day. But it's funny. It's like, if you told me, hey, uh, I'm going to become like the next Ralph Lauren, I'm like, yeah. I don't. I mean, I was like, yeah, I, I, who, who's going to say that's not going to happen? You know what I mean? Like so many companies, when you think about it, started off doing one thing and then People don't even know how the origin story happened because it's now something completely different. So in your crazy mind, the (laughs) entrepreneurial mind, what is something that you're like, I thought about, but I I just don't know if I could ever share with it. Like, I I just know. I I bet you in 10 years, you're like, Ellen's doing what? Oh my God. It's a great question. I mean, I think it will always be in the world of food because that's just at my heart and soul and my core, and I'll never stop being in that world. But yeah, it's, it's, we've, I mean, we've done shoes with vans. Now we've done a collaboration with Madewell. We've made jumpsuits with Madewell. Like we've done so many things that have nothing to do directly with food that who fucking knows? I mean, Nike, Nike just started out with a guy making shoes for track team. Oh, shoe dog. Have you read that book? It's that's so, so good. good. It's so good. so good. Yeah, that's the thing. You show up with one idea and if you have the humility to be willing to adapt it and shift it based on what people's needs are, you really you start to make a different formula. Like I I feel like I read something that you wrote that was so good. You were talking about making hits and how you come up with food and you make these hits in the world and it's like you're trying something new and maybe you think it's going to be amazing. And then you put it out and then people don't like it, but you try something else and then they fucking love it. And you do more of that. But Ellen, I think you're a rare, obviously you're a rare person, but this is something where I'm like, man, people read and they'll be like, yeah, they get inspired to do it. But I'm like, there's actually very few people that are like, yeah, I'm just going to fucking do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I I think that there's and there's also not enough fucking books out there that tell you that it's okay to fuck up too. And if we talk about it more and we explain to people that the success doesn't come without the failure part, it makes it a little more normal because all they see is the good stuff and they don't know everything else behind the scenes. So that that is why I wrote an honest to God book that was just fucking real. So people know. You don't need the whole universe to start a business. Just show up and start trying it. And hey, it might evolve into something radically different. Wasn't Slack that's now an IPO'd business? Like it started off within another company that had nothing to do with that? It was like video game chat. Yeah, in a failing business. And now Slack is one of the biggest companies in the stock market. Like it's wild. You just don't know where the fuck you're going to land. Do you think that it's harder to, what's harder, becoming successful, going up the mountain or coming down it? I swear, I think it is never easier. You just get better at being uncomfortable. You just get better at dealing with the shit storms and everything doesn't paralyze you and alarm you. And that that's 
the, the days don't get harder. The days don't get easier. Like I literally walk into the building with a fire hose practically just like, okay, what fire am I going to fight today? Um, but I think the, the hardest part I've seen and I felt was the very early days where nobody believed in it. Nobody had conviction on it. I was my own cheerleader and I just kept showing up to restaurants, showing up to food L- events. Literally talking. that's how, that's how we met. Yeah. You were just hustling. Yeah. Do you remember that day? Yeah. Yeah. Was- <laughs> you came, I mean, and, and, and you made me, uh, uh, you made the co-team the first aprons. And I was just like, you know, I was like, wow. I remember talking to Josh Pinsky about it and Sean Gray. I was like, we actually had a conversation like, who the hell does this? <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. You're like, she's just as, like, we just like admired the hustle. You're like, wow. I remember that day. I people don't understand, day. like, this is what you did. There was a, a, a real moment now. When you go into a kitchen today, like literally any kitchen, even the, 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 the higher end, you're going to see color. You're going to see people not wearing toques. You're going to see people wearing porter shirts. You're going to see different colored aprons. But there was a time and place where that did not exist. Outside of maybe, say, a pizzeria where you could wear a T-shirt and a white apron, color didn't exist. It was literally black and white. When did you notice that was like a thing? I mean, because that didn't change until probably, when did you think it really changed? Well, I started Headley and Bennett in 2012, and it was right around the time when more chefs were starting to be on TV and really kind of coming to the front of house. So it was a few years in, I'd say like three years after that. But I mean, yeah, when I was at Providence and we were all in white, white clothing, white uniforms, you know, just starched white, like that's what you wore. And it was awful. And I thought, holy shit, like, why don't we have a better uniform? Why don't we look and feel awesome the way that we that athletes do, right? Like athletes have great fucking gear. We should have great gear too. And that was it. That was that was the 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 idea I needed to go. And and I'll never forget going to see you. I was so excited. I was like 25 years old. It was David Chang, you know? I wasn't just going over to see any old old dude. And you walk, you walked in and you were so friendly. And I was like, I'm here to, <laughs> to show you aprons. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, I was like, wow, the hustle. That's what I was like, because I do remember that feeling of, we actually had this talk with Pinsky and Sean. I was like, nobody's doing this. You have Brigard and that's where a lot of the chefs wanted to get their stuff. Yeah. But you wanted to get the Brigard from France because the Brigard in New York, America wasn't the same quality. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they'll be upset about that, but it just wasn't. And then when you yeah. go to Europe, people would want to get the white clogs and yeah. everything is sort of European because it was just better there because it was better there in terms of the yeah. quality of manufacturing. And the stuff you would get in America was, you know, you'd get, Keller was probably one of the few people that did the, the blue apron. Yeah. You had Marco Pierre White that did the, the striped black and white that yeah. Fergus Henderson then adopted. Wiley had something like that at WD-50. And I could tell you just like probably like 10 people, 10 restaurants that had something different. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you had aprons that had the polyester tie that was too short. Yep. And it just didn't. Terrible. It was like, wow, it was such a low hanging fruit for someone to be like, this could be better, right? Yeah. And, and I remember totally. having this conversation where like, wow, this is fucking, it was really fucking smart. It was really smart then because 
a real entrepreneur sees something that nobody else sees. And I think you get all the credit to see something that nobody else saw, really. And I think you started a trend because, boom, all of a sudden, you go in a kitchen today, it's Technicolor. Yeah. You played a big part in bringing color to the kitchen. So I thank you. And you're, you're destigmatize, like getting away from the Eurocentric model of just a French dude in whites. So, Ellen, congratulations for changing the game for all of us. Thank you. It, it's been such an honor and a fucking journey. And I got to say, when I see line cooks wearing Headley and Bennett, you see that little red ampersand patch on the chest, or I see it on Top Chef and Food Network shows we outfit now. It's like, man, it's like this network and community of dreamers and doers and hustlers that are showing up every day and they they want to look and feel good so they can get shit done. And, and it really is more than an apron. It's this like sense of, I can do it. It's like a cape of armor. And, and it's, it's really because of incredible chefs like you and Jonathan Benno who adopted it early on. And, and Benno's the one that told me. Benno's the one that told you. And that was huge when Benno was like, oh, this is awesome. I love this stuff. It's it's legit and it's proper and you make it in LA and it fucking lasts. And you know, Benno doesn't fuck yeah. around. No, and, and when Benno called me and I'm like, I'm still like, yeah, chef. Okay, no problem. You know, <laughs> he's like, you're going to you're gonna see her and, uh, you know, blah, blah. I was like, okay, no problem. And you you made us it. And, and uh, I just remember, again, talking to my team. I'm like, wow, this is a good idea. <laughs> this is... <laughs> but we didn't know. We didn't know. And and obviously your book talks about the history. It was not an easy journey to get to where you're at now. And uh, it's remarkable. I mean, I don't think people understand the, 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 the difficulty that you had to like literally putting color in a, in a world where kitchens were just about monotone. Yeah, totally. And getting people to care and pay a little bit more so you can customize it and it's remarkable. So again, I, I cannot stress that enough. These are like game changers. This is like when we had Jerry Saltz on and he's like, well, Warhol's real like significance was a lot of things, but he put color on paintings that nobody had seen before, like pink. And I'm like, in the world of gastronomy, putting color in the kitchens is something that should be as important as technique or different kinds of restaurant. Like you've actually had a massive scaling impact in how people think about food and how they consume food in a, in a restaurant. So it's like, if anything, you don't get enough credit. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I have to give credit to all the chefs that were just like, dude, this is a good idea. I'll rock it. And, and it spread like that. It was word of mouth. I didn't have millions of dollars to do marketing. It was, uh, you know, using John and Vinny wearing it and John and Vinny seeing it on Jeremy Fox and Jeremy Fox wearing it with another chef. And, and it just like, that's the kind of cool thing about the restaurant world. It's like, it's a small world. And when something works, it makes sense. And it just kind of keeps going. And, and we are, we like to share and we like to do what's good. And by the way, chefs are really fucking opinionated. So I had, <laughs> I had my handful of feedback at the beginning and I was always just willing to listen what was wrong, what was right. And I would adapt it all the time. So I never sat around being like, oh, my product is perfect. And I think that really had a lot to, to do with it. Just the collaboration of a chef with me. Truly, it's it's amazing to see what you built. Um it was a little less than 10 years ago, but man, it's to, to see where you've come from and that crazy pivot 
to where you are now, it's it's remarkable. And, um, you know, we like celebrating these kinds of stories and uh, that's awesome. And so people should check out your book yeah. out now. Yep. It's out. It's live. It's out in the world. They can get it on our website, headleyandbennett.com. We have signed copies on there. I created a whole apron collection around it. That's really fucking cool. And yeah, people need to pick it up. I mean, this is our time. The world is opening up. If you've had ideas about shit you want to do, like take that leap now. We it's, it's never, the world has never been more level set than it is right now. So it is the time to make it happen. And I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Your, your gut is is very, uh, your radar is very, very good because it's not, home cooking is not going to go away. I think it, a lot of people, whether they worked in restaurants or not, are going to probably, I do think home is going to be where restaurants go, just in general. Um, mm-hmm. So you're, you're well positioned. Um, but what I, what I really wanted to do, because Chris Ying is not here, because he has a good excuse. He's got to take care of his young son. Uh, he's got daddy daycare. <laughs> daddy uh, daycare. Um, we want to do a My Opinion is Fact with you because you have traveled the world. You know a lot about food. And I know you said chefs are opinionated. You are also <laughs> very, very opinionated. So I was like, you know who would be an amazing, amazing, amazing guest for my opinion is fact it'd be you so oh my god i love it bring it on mr let's jang let's, let's do, do it. it isaac lee hit hey. us with some some opinions bring it isaac <laughs> <laughs> all right let's start off nice and easy something something that we have all tasted in our lives applesauce oh overrated or underrated underrated i fucking love applesauce Ooh, okay I think it's great. Mott's applesauce, the old school kind you buy or you get in your little container and you rip the aluminum foil lid off yeah, and you lick it because yeah. you want all the applesauce you on the lid. You have to lick it. You have to Come lick it. Come on. The best. I love it. Uh, also underrated. And I only know this because I see my son eating it now and uh, he feels like it's, you know, it's good when he eats it and he covets it like ice cream. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Right. If you can convince that little dude to be eating Mott's applesauce instead of yeah. ice cream, you're like, that is about as underrated as it gets right there. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys ever used it as an ingredient in a dish, in a savory dish, maybe like just to add a little sweetness? Or I use apple juice, but I don't yeah. use apple. No. Yeah. I feel like I've used apple applesauce in banana bread or some sort of a cake that it hmm. vaguely rings a bell, like to make it more moist. Who knows? I cook like an old lady. I'm like, oh, I'll throw a little bit of this in. I'll throw a little bit of that in. So if there's like <laughs> Mott's applesauce on the counter, maybe I'll just throw it in. Isaac, I got it uh, one. I want to like, oh, okay, uh, give an okay. impromptu. Uh, give it to me. Mexico City underrated or overrated? Oh, in food, no. in terms of food. Oh my God. You literally hit a nerve. I love Mexico City. I think it is spectacular. So I don't know. I would say... It's underrated because not everyone knows the magic and power of that fucking electric city. I got married there. I lived there for four years. I went to culinary school there. I am like the number one Mexico City fan that you could ever meet. And if anyone has ever doubted for a second going there, you better fucking A, go buy my book and B, 
book your ass a flight to Mexico City because the food, I mean, Maximo Bistro is one of my favorite restaurants out there. Holy smokes, it's incredible. You've got Pujol there. The taco stands in the middle of nowhere under freeway bridges. It is the jam. What is it about Mexico City that you think people have preconceived notions about? I think they think it's dangerous and they don't know what's going to happen and how are they going to get around. And when we got married, we rented 20 Mexican buses, like these street buses. And we paid them under the table to go off of their route to drive our guests from one spot in the wedding to the other. And you had like Nancy Silverton dangling in a little Mexican bus with the mariachi music going on. And everyone's face was sheer joy. So it's like going to Mexico City like a local, not going to Mexico City like a tourist. You want to really live it. You want to get on the subway. You want to ride the buses. You want to go eat the tamales with the little ladies on the corner. Like that is how you really feel a city. Is Mexico City the best food city in North America? We're not going to get you in trouble Whoa, now. Whoa, yeah. Jesus. Because it so seems me. that way. Isaac, don't you feel that that's where she's going, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 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 almost there. You're 99% there, so you might as well say it. So you might as well say it. So we can get a poll quote. Some journalists are going to be like, yeah, the aggregators. Ellen said that Mexico City is the best food city over Los Angeles, New York, <laughs> New York City. Just say it. Just, just say Toronto. it. Toronto. Come on. Fine. Fine. I'll take that. It is the best city in North America. <laughs> Boom. Bring it on, David Chang. Oh, the aggregators are going to have a ball yep, with this. Yeah, yeah. They're going to have a ball. Bring it on. Um, okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> to a less controversial topic here. <laughs> How do you feel about a spork as like a utensil that to, to eat like a spork? Ooh. If it's underrated or overrated, what the hell's is going it, on? Yeah, with is it? it overrated or underrated? Like I think kids love the spork as an invention, but you know, I kind of think it's really freaking convenient. I'm very particular to Annie's mac and cheese. I don't know if you guys mm. have had it. Annie's yes. shells yes. mac and cheese. Absolutely. Like what the hell? And I think a spork is the perfect vessel because you get a little bit of the cheese, you get the little noodle shapes, you get the sauce, but you also get to attach yourself. You get to shove the front of the fork, spork, into the noodles. Mm -hmm. So you get grip and you get shape and together you get more of a bite. So yes, I, I'm a big proponent of a spork. I have been a long advocate of the spork only because it's such a contrarian thing. And it's really the only tool utensil you have at uh, Popeye's. And and, mm. and <laughs> yes. I just love the name spork and whoever invented it. I was like, it's a genius. It's but genius. upon further thought, I'm going to say overrated. Oh, oh, it pains me wow. to say this. pains me. He started off so strong and then he turned it. First, yeah. you're giving it accolades, and then you're like, fuck the sport. I know. It's like a liberal Democrat becoming a MAGA supporter. I know. It's like a crazy, crazy twist. Wow. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm like, so I've spent a lot of time thinking about a spork. A lot. Hmm. And outside of, say, camping or even still, like, the reason why hasn't it taken off? You have the technically the best of both worlds. Yeah. But there it is. It's not. It doesn't really do the function of a fork. It yeah. really is just a spoon. So I'm yeah. like, just use a spoon. 
Just use a spoon. All right, that's fair. Okay, I can. You can't of, really stab food of, with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, just, it's true. You only can get so many mac and cheese noodles onto that damn thing. Okay, all right. I think you kind of swayed me. I maybe I'm joining the dark side here. Yeah. Maybe it is underrated. Do you need it? Do you need it? Isaac, you don't need what do you it. Think? No, Isaac, no, you don't. Uh, it's completely unnecessary. However, I yeah. will say that it's a uh, little tchotchke. Yeah, I think, I think Popeye's carrying it is is a strong case for it. That like well, that just makes it cool. Popeyes yeah. just yeah. makes it legit and makes it like part of culture. Yeah, it does. But I think I think Mr. Chang's right. I think that it's a you, we can live without it. It ain't an essential. What it's not. Can a, it's, let's put it this way: it's not showing up in the future yeah. Headley and Bennett collections. There you go. <laughs> yeah. What can yeah. a what can a sport do that a spoon can't? Well, here's right? the yeah, thing. exactly. Well, it can, it can stab, <laughs> and I think instead of having both a spoon and a fork. If you just use one spork, it reduces dishwashing. Mm. If it's like a plastic utensil, it reduces waste. Oh you know, like I think there are arguments for it. I'm not. I'm not right, like, going fair, either way. Fair. Okay, I'm, I'm, wait. Uh, so plot twist. Uh huh. Chopsticks, underrated, overrated. I mean, you're, you're talking to two Asian people here. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, gonna yeah, be yeah. underrated uh, for hey, us. Hey, <laughs> hey, you can't be the only one throwing around controversial <laughs> questions. It is. I'll tell. I'll tell. I'll say this. It is the only utensil we need on the planet. Mm. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Going down some that is a hot yeah. yeah. That ain't an opinion. That's a fact. The fact that the fact that people don't have chopsticks and it's not in every household, it's just again like uh, underrated because it's not omnipresent. Yep. And it should yep. be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I fully support that. Underrated because everybody should use it because it's universal as hell. Yeah. Convenient. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's functional. And you taste yeah. the food. Yeah. You taste your food, exactly. not the fork. If, if if a spork had the functionality of a of a chopstick, we're talking <laughs> we're not talking this way about a spork. A spork is just a <laughs> you know, decoration. A chachki, <laughs> as you say. <laughs> I love it. Okay, okay, okay. I did not think that was going to get that heated. I just thought you guys were going to be like, oh, yeah, that's good or whatever. Um, okay, here, here's, a, here's a more general question. Would you rather have napkins or paper towels? Oh, napkins all the way. Napkins, okay. Chang? I'm a paper towel. I, I, oh, I, honestly. Whoa. Mr. Yeah. Chang, come on, yeah. sustainability. Got to think about well, the trees. Well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> we, we in our household we had we use napkins, but I thought you were saying like napkins as like the paper napkins. You have to be more specific. With yeah, your, okay. Your Come question. on, Isaac. I'm about to throw okay. some dark shade on him. We got to <laughs> modify. Okay, just just as general general usage, like if you had to use one type of paper wiping and or cleaning product. So they're both paper. They're both paper. Okay. All right. The question just changed. Yeah. His plot, he plot twisted. We already us. know the okay. answer. We already know the answer. It's clearly <laughs> going to be a, a sea fold or a paper towel or something like that. But sea fold. Okay. If it was paper towel or cloth napkin, that's a different question. Yeah. That's a different question. I go for sea fold all day. I love that they start out small. You can stretch them out. You need more absorbency. You add another one on top. You can throw it on a sheet pan. It's easy. It's practical. They fit in the stupid little thing above the sink in the kitchen. Like they're just there for you and they're not in the way. And they have a nice little stack. You know, you can yeah, stack yeah. them. You cannot have a good restaurant without them. Really, you yeah. can't. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know how that ever changes <laughs> uh, with sustainability, but I, know. I, I will say there's two things about the seafold. And if you don't know, if you're listening, you're not, you're not in the restaurant world. It is a kind of paper towel, but there are two kinds of seafolds. The best brand is Kleenex. And mm-hmm. then you have the non Kleenex seafold, which is total shit. And then also my, one of my pet peeves is you have the seafolds in the bathroom dispenser or dispenser where you're washing your, drying your hands and it's filled the other way instead of pulling it out. Oh, that's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the worst. Yeah. And I, I love seafolds. By the way, everyone has seen one. If you're in the bathroom, it is the little thing that you pull out and it's just like a three, threefold stretchy thing that comes out. Yeah. They're just, I don't know. They're like as universal as a little stack of kitchen towels you get when you're working in a restaurant. You get your stack of seafolds, you get your stack of paper towels and don't be an asshole with them. Use them effectively. Like, come on, people. Yeah, I feel like we just lost a bunch of people that are like, I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about. <laughs> no, this got, this got so nerdy. No, everyone, yeah. everyone has used the seafold. We're just a bunch of maniacs. Yeah, but like <laughs> people are assholes. People mostly are assholes with them. Cooks too. They are, they are. Yeah, especially yeah. guests when they go to a fucking bathroom. They just take- Oh my God. They 25 get a, a of them out. Yeah, if you're one of those people, I'm just going to say, fuck you. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Stop getting all the sea folds, Jesus. And throwing them on the ground. Put them in the goddamn waste bin. <laughs> I always, by the way, I always pick up the paper yeah, towels on the ground. You're I am a fe- yeah, I'm offended when somebody does that to a restaurant because you, you're making them look bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I spend a lot of time cleaning up at other people's restaurants because Same. I can't take it. Because you fucking customers, <laughs> yep, it's yep. you motherfuckers, you know who I'm talking about. I wipe about. the sink down. I mean, this is TMI, but like I'll wipe the toilet for yes, people. It's just yes. like, you, you gotta. Got to. Don't be nasty. This is, this All right, is, Isaac. This is see great. what you did? No, this is, this is great to hear. Like this, That actually restores my faith you in got humanity. A couple of, you got a couple of maniacs over here yeah. having a lot of conviction about a <laughs> lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if you, you'll have a conviction on this subject here. The California Pizza Kitchen, CPK, overrated or underrated? Ooh, I'm probably, this is going to be controversial too. Uh I don't, I don't love it. I Uh don't love it. I don't. And I'm a Californian. I was born in Glendale. I mean, I've had, I've had CPK in my life for a long time. Mm -hmm. Not going to lie. Their stupid pizza with the chicken on top of it, whatever that one's called. I like that. Barbecue chicken chicken. pizza. Yeah. Yeah, That one. (laughs) You're like barbecue pizza, Bennett. Come on. Uh, that one's good. Okay, fine. I like that one, but I can't say that I would go out of my way to go to CPK these days. Definitely not. When I was in San Francisco, I had an opportunity to eat at a CPK, and I never once crossed my mind, I'm going to eat there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's right. I, I like CPK. They have a good, I mean, not good. You have to put it in context. The Chinese chicken salad's good. A lot of this is is like. Wolfgang Puck, the the pizza maker Ed, the whole story there. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of stuff there, but the tortilla soup can be okay. The barbecue chicken pizza is also delicious, but this is something that I only eat in airports. Mm. Totally. Yes, if you're mm. gonna eat at the airport and your options are like Starbucks or CPK, fine. I give you full credit to go in there and have your damn pizza. But if you're just going through life in LA and you show up at a CPK, you should be ashamed. There are so many good restaurants <laughs> that you need to show your ass up to and not be at CPK. So yeah, go to but places what, what, that what have- What you heart. don't know, Isaac, is uh, <laughs> Ellen is behind the CPK aprons. 
I don't even think that's true. I'm like, that's that's propaganda. <laughs> fake oh news. Fake no, news. but you know, you fake news. We do make the aprons for Panda Express, which I secretly oh. am obsessed with their orange chicken. I was proud of that okay. one. I was like, okay. all right, corporate team at Panda, I'll outfit you. That's pretty Let's cool. Do you, were, this. you were born in Glendale, uh, which is the, yes, the, the original Panda Express was in, was in Glendale, right? Isaac Lee knows. Yeah. He knows. I, I'm from Los Angeles as well. You know, they got to represent. Um, I love it. Okay. One last one here. Last one. Let's do it. The Cuban sandwich. Overrated or Ooh, underrated? The Cuban sandwich. <sighs> Damn. I don't know. Mr. Chang, what do you think? He's looking very wistfully off into the distance. <laughs> I know. I think it's, I think it's properly rated. Oh, okay. Oh, I like yeah. that. Okay. I think. Uh, uh, Tell us more. I think I, I, if you have one where it's dry pork, mm-hmm. it's dried out. It only is good to me, re- regardless of wherever you get it. If it's just juicy pork. And if it's something that's been sitting out in a bain marie too long, mm-hmm. and it's made with that, or, or or it's especially if it's pork loin, that's just not something. So I think it, again, it depends on where you're getting it. It's just yeah. you can't have this catch-all Cubano sandwich, but it has everything you'd like, you know, mustard, pickles, cheese. But the pork to me is what makes it. Also the bread, right? So yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I like that perspective because it's well done. It's got everything you need and nothing you don't. It's not going to like, you're not going to write home to your parents about it, but you're also not going to complain. It's just going to get the job done. But if it's in front of me, I'm eating it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I had today, which uh, I feel like I just saw you go there a few weeks ago that I'm obsessed with mini kebab. It's I can get it delivered to my house because I'm in Echo Park, so down the street. Oh my God, I love their food. Now that is about the greatest place ever. I'm obsessed. I love mini kebab. I'm not the only person that loves mini kebab. Everybody seems to love mini kebab for good reason. And oh. um, it really is remarkable how good their food is. So It's incredible. I even fold extra butter into the rice because I'm crazy. But <laughs> man, is it good. It's really fantastic. I, want, I love their lavash there. They yes. have really good lavash. Oh, so <laughs> good. I'm like starving just thinking about it all over again. It's it's fantastic. This was fun. Good job, guys. I like the opinions are your facts or what's it called? <laughs> My opinion is fact. <laughs> but um, listen, we know you got to get out of here. You got a lot of, uh, you got a big book tour ahead of you, I'm sure. But oh. um, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Congratulations guys. Congratulations really on everything. Fun. Really. Thank you. Thank you for being on the Apron Squad all these years. And for everyone out there listening, go get Dream First Details later and go make some magic happen in the world. And follow us on Instagram, Ellen Marie Bennett and Hedley and Bennett. And we're on TikTok now. Highly, highly fun and funny. So <laughs> just saying, just saying. See you out in the ether, guys. Uh, and have an amazing day. Thanks for having me. Be safe. Thanks, Ellen. All right, guys. Please buy her book, Dream First, Details Later, How to Quit Overthinking and Make It Happen. Oh, man. Go get vaccinated, everybody. If you can, please do it. I'm 
beyond excited to see people I haven't seen in a long time and to give them a big old hug. I'm so happy to see restaurants getting busy again. I am worried about restaurants not being able to properly staff out as the customer base thinks that everything should go back to normal. It's not going back to normal, guys. Um, But get vaccinated. Please, please, please. We have that luxury and a lot of people don't. So don't take it for granted. And um, that's it, guys. Give us five stars on our iPod page and uh, have a safe weekend. All right.